Blog Talk Radio. harmony. The earth supports our conscious effort for sustained humanity. Human being, human love, on a spiritual tip. So vast, so great. The African Embrace Live beyond Love beyond Your skin To where you Belong Sick as a kid, sick as a 
Thank you. 
essentially a computerized simulation. It's very interesting because the whole term in terms of long-termism takes this kind of view into consideration. In fact, it seeks to uh, <clears throat> combine human existence uh, with artificial intelligence to, to create a new human being. The reality is that in terms of formulating this, this so-called concept of long-termism, is this notion that things don't fundamentally change. So we talk about injustice and suffering that currently exists. They're talking about actually increasing the kind of injustice and suffering into the future. It's a very interesting concept. But I thought I'd write a little bit about this because I think it's important that people understand the kind of um, <clears throat> maniacal thoughts that exist among some very powerful people, you know, in, throughout the world <clears throat> and, and their ability to make this, these, these crazy concepts come to life. <clears throat> but in any event, check this out, Brother Africa. Now, during the feudal, feudal period, those individuals who opposed the repressive mandates of the church were considered, e considered evil. Today, Christian conservatives often flaunt the word evil against those advocating for a more enlightened humanity and an end to systematic injustice. <clears throat> Implicit in the evil declaration is a supposition that suggests any acknowledgement that calls into question the functioning of the state <clears throat> that undermines the state's economic undermines the state's economic efficiency. In this context, any expression of morality or moral dimension is viewed as inane or foolish since the accumulation of wealth serves its own morality. The logical extension of this libertarian ethos is the establishment of a system that elevates material possession to a science, all the while eviscerating any idea as to right and wrong, glorifying expediency while humanity is relegated to serfdom, and slavery. That system is called long-termism. While long-termism is merely a concept now, the process to lead society to long-termism has already begun. Long-termism, as defined by Emilio Torres, is a quasi-religious worldview influenced by transhumanism and the notion wrong does not exist if the majority, presumably the Western nation, benefits, which believes there could exist digital people living in vast computerized simulations in the near future. Superhumans endowed with artificial intelligence, microchips in the brain connected directly to the Internet. 
This concept, long-termism, originated by Nick Bolstrom, <coughs> has support from billionaires and tech giants. Among his biggest supporters are Elon Musk and Klaus Schwab of the, of the World <coughs> Economic Forum. Now, speaking of the World Economic Forum, currently it is in a receipt of $49 billion, and its influence continues to, to grow. Now, the allure of long-termism acceleration in no small part has been the result of environmental degradation, climate change, and pending inhabitability of the planet. Co-founder of long-termism is intimately aware of industrial society impact on the planet, but is fervently convinced the real culprits for Earth pending devastation are dysgenic pressures impacting the Earth. By dysgenic, he means people of less intelligence, presumably having more children than intelligent people. And deconstructing his thoughts, his views correlate closely with eugenics. The notion of poor people consume too much earth resources is not new. What is new is that long-term, through long-termism, the intent not openly acknowledged is to eradicate the poor and replace the poor with productive, genetically engineered humans whose genetically, <clears throat> genetically created intelligence could not only greatly increase productivity through mining of stars or colonizing other planets, but enhance the wealth of those non-genetically enhanced individuals deserving of wealth. Aside from the moral bankruptcy of this plan, ethical concerns abound. A repeat of industrialization is nonsensical because the process of industrialization has brought us to the point of ecological destruction. Even more insidious is the evisceration or elimination of human consciousness. Regional people may serve as effective robots, but the spontaneity of life will suffer. Assuming some consciousness survive computerized simulation, these beings may be subjected to emotional turmoil that is unavoidable. Now, the philosophical framework that undergirds long-termism is anti-humane. When William McCaskill was asked about climate change and assistance for global South nations, he would he respond with emphatically so, no. He responded, quote, our actions today must be measured and benefit <coughs> And to measure and benefits 100 or 1,000 years from now. Backstep was more to the point. He stated, seems to me it's more plausible having a life in a rich country is substantially more important than saving a life in a poor country, end quote. This level of callousness was no slip of the tongue. He went on to disclose more of his philosophy by talking about existential risk. Existential risk, according to him, was as any event that could derail long-termism. For example, in the event an African leader captures the attention of the continent, threatening change, that African leader must be assassinated because if he survives, Africa may move to control prices of his resources, of his raw resources, thus threatening Western interests. Now, the difference, now the indifference to, to human life is probable. It has been quoted by many capitalists. People are nothing more than a means to an end. We have no intrinsic value of our own. People are understood as containers of value. Hence, we matter only as insofar we contain value and therefore contribute to the overall net amount of the wealthy, end quote. Ironically, this tenant fits squarely with capitalism. Long-termism is nothing more than the continuation and domination and exploitation currently fought against by large of humanity. The big question is, do at least support humanity's struggles of, by finding long-termism barbaric and maniacal? Any word, no. Catherine Phillips and Klaus Schwab stated, quote, augmented reality technology is inevitable. Schwab was very forthright when he stated, augmented reality technology will lead, lead to fusion of our physical, 
digital and biological identity, end quote. As terrifying as dystopia is, the notion of not having control over your own thoughts or your own perceptions shaped by computerized algorithms hardly seems like a life. Juxtaposing a virtual reality where, where what is real is imposed upon human consciousness by brain implants legitimizes slavery. After centuries fighting to free humanity from slavery, slavery is taking a different form. Slavery will no longer be brazenly imposed on humanity, but part of a therapeutic protocol where microchips will be implanted directly into children under the guise of the benefits as a location tracker. We already know the correlation between 5G cancer and cancer clusters. I wonder if Microsoft's increase in radiation exposure is a medical concern or the attainment of long-termism goals more important. My view is that based upon everything I've read, long-termism is the ultimate role of those positions of power and certainly something we've got to fight against. First of all, we've got to be aware of what's going on. We, we have to actively fight against it. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we'll go to Brother Anthony, and we would like to welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Uh, thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, D.C. Objective is Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Father and Brother Anthony, we will now bring in Brother Moses, and we would like to welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Moses. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And we don't reverse correct verdict. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I believe women hold up half the sky. I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, ERA, yes. The struggle continues to be to unite the many, defeat the few. Interestingly enough, there is a, a Apple podcast called um, Mother Country Radicals, and uh, it's a sort of a history of the struggle in the, in the since the 60s uh, against U.S. imperialism, talking about uh, SDS, um, the Weather Underground, Black Panther Party, and Black Liberation Army. And I think everyone should view that podcast if they can. Thank you, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. Thank you, Brother Moses. And from Brother Moses, we're now going to Sister Eleanor, and we're going to welcome her to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Sister Eleanor. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. Good evening, everyone, to uh, you, Brother Africa, our fellow panelists, to our listening audience in the United States and abroad. Uh, we have many things to discuss and share with each other. The main thing is famine and starvation 
and we I stand in solidarity with the Palestinians and uh also I am uh with the Afghani people and their struggle for to uh feed themselves and with the coming winter to provide heat to keep from dying from hunger and uh uh, uh freezing weather. Also with the people of Yemen uh, and all African people, and congratulations once again to the people of Colombia for having a successful election. And uh, I stand in solidarity with the Cuban people and uh, the lifting of the U.S. embargo against Cuba. It's about time. And uh, also with the Yemen, the people of Yemen who are being suffering under the tyranny of Saudi Arabia uh, with the help of the U.S., whom they purchased weapons from. In addition, I stand in solidarity with uh, all people struggling for liberation, and I hope to see this, this ridiculous proxy war uh, between the Ukraine and Russia to come to a rapid end in that uh, uh, the Ukrainian people uh, are being encouraged by the United States to uh, block uh, the Russians from access to the Black Sea. And it is uh, willing to oppress the people of the Dumbarth region and other regions that have voted to remain a part of Russia and to maintain uh, Russian sovereignty. So with that in mind, I look forward to this evening's show and uh uh, I hope that we can stop this outrageous expansion of NATO and that people will think more about uh, education, uh, saving Mother Earth, and relieving this outrageous impact that we are having on the global south by using so much plastic and burning so much fossil fuel. And I hope that each and every city, state, and municipality will take legislative action to have water be a public utility that cannot be sold to private companies. In addition, I hope to see the outrageous anti-voting legislation that has been passing through this country like a wildfire in California come to a halt. And also, women need to have control over their bodies, their families, and their lives. And that is not what's happening as we see this outrageous legislation, just uh, anti-women legislation passing as it did in West Virginia just last week. Thank you so much for having me on the show this evening, and I look forward to this evening's discussion. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. This is Africa to Move. Our theme tonight is Black Rage versus Big Tech. 
We're going to take a rubber share culture break, and when we come back, we will open up with our first segment of the program, What's Going On in Your World and the Community. You are welcome to call in and share with us in terms of what's going on in your world and the community by dialing 323-679-0841. Just for the record, on this particular day, on the 25th of September, in the year of 1911, Eric Wims, an African historian, born in Trinidad. He was born on this particular date. And in 1964, the arms scroller began in Mozambique. Those are two historical significant facts. We should be aware of our history. And on that note, we're going to pause for the calls, and when we come back, we will discuss what's going on in your world and the community. This is Brother Africa, and this is Africa on the Move.
Babylon. Dig out me gold in a Milan. Digging out the pearls in a Milan. Dig out me diamonds. We are the fight, 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 fight in the time. Fight, fight, fight. 
That's right. We got to fight against apartheid. We got to fight against capitalism. We got to fight against imperialism. We got to fight against Zionism. We got to fight against neocolonialism. We got to fight against settler colonialism. We got to fight against oppression in all of its various forms. That's what we got to do, and this is why Africa must be on the move. I'm Brother Africa. We welcome you back to Africa on the Move. You can join us every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S. Powerless and a powerful, because we're going to stand the seat and take the heat, because as we define it, we're going to stand behind it. we got a political panelist and analyst. They are some bad brothers and sisters, and they're going to come and tell it like it is. And we want you to tell the lack of ears because we are African people. We are Africans because we weren't just born in Africa, but more so Africa was born in us. So come and join us and spread the word every Sunday evening. This is the place to be. We may not give you what you want, but we definitely will do our best to give you what you need. Come and join us. And right now, we encourage you to join us by calling in at 323-679-0841. We're going to our first segment on what's going on in your world and the community. Before we do that, we'd like to make a real important announcement, though. For all of our friends, supporters, and listening audience, uh, we're asking you to do something very important for us. We would like to stay in contact and engage our membership and our listenership. But the only way we can do that is for you to contact us by emailing us and telling us that you support Africa on the move. Will you please do that? And by doing that, we'll have an organic connection with you. Other than that, it becomes very, very problematic and impossible for us to engage with you the way we want to because we don't have access or knowing where you are or who you are. That information is controlled by um, the platform that owns this particular blog talk platform, and uh, we need your support to engage you and inform you, and please contact us by emailing us at Africa on the move 2 all small cap at gmail.com. That's Africa, A-F-R-I-C-A, on or in the T-H-E move, and we'll be the number 2 at gmail.com. And we'd like to remind you, coming up for this new year very shortly, we are in partnership with other organizations, such as the African Women Association, as we are encouraging you to come on the Freedom Ride to Cuba from January the 23rd to the 30th. It's time to make that move right now. We'll be talking about that a little more later with Brother Haki. So right now, we just want to remind you to email us to let us know that you support the radio station so we can engage with you and stay in touch with you and also Come on, make that move, and join us on a freedom ride to Cuba. So those are our two brief announcements for right now. We will start our segment. What's going on in your world community by bringing Brother Haki back in? And there are so many things going on. We're going to listen to Brother Haki and find out what's going on in his world and his community. Welcome back, Haki. Yeah, thank you, Brother Africa. Yeah, uh, you know, one of the things, I, I, I think it's of eminence importance. It's a whole right wing uh movement of the society. You know, often we take for granted, you know, the, the kind of uh, right wing uh tendencies that manifest themselves in society. 
we see them as somehow as being isolated incidents and not understanding that within the context of the scheme of things, uh, anything that happens in terms of, you know, reflecting a right-wing propensity, it's an indication in terms of where the society is going. And, and if we don't heed the warning in terms of where the society is going, ultimately the bottom line is that we can, we can blame nobody but ourselves. I mean, when the, when, the, when the signals are there, when the signs are there, there's something fundamentally skewed in terms of the way the society is organized. If we don't heed the warning, then clearly, you know, we, we have to take responsibility for whatever happens to us, you know, in the society. So recently, um, you know, there was a, 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 a case uh, involving a young sister out of uh, South Carolina. Very interesting case. So I thought I'd share that a little bit about that because it doesn't have real ominous implications, you know, for African people in society, particularly when we talk about, you know, the right-wing uh, uh, judicialship in the society, where increasingly, you know, these right-wing judges are being appointed to power and bringing into existence, you know, all kinds of right-wing lunacy uh, was justified by law. So clearly, uh, we have to stand in terms of the, the law's propensity in terms of fundamental injustice. Now, Brittany Martin was a 34-year-old African uh, woman, and she was convicted of breach of peace in South Carolina in 2020. Now, taking part in the rally in support of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor in Sumter, South Carolina, it was alleged Ms. Martin stated, quote, I am willing to die for the black. Are you willing to die for the blue? Uh, she concluded her statement supposed by saying it, Quote, this is this is your job. This is a job for you. For me, this is my life. End quote. Last year, she was indicted for aggravated breach of peace, instigating riot, and threatening life of a public public official, presumably the police. It was alleged Ms. Martin was not physically violent or threatening. Now, earlier this year, the impregnated woman was found guilty of aggravated breach of peace. Now, under South Carolina law, aggravated charges allows judge to deviate from sentencing guidelines and impose sentencing, uh, <coughs> sentence judge views as, as appropriate. Now, normal guidelines for sentencing for breach of peace is a $500 fine and or 30 days in jail. Ms. Martin received a four-year sentence for essentially being African and loud, according to her attorney, Sibel Rosado. Aside from the fact this pregnant mother is relegated to four years in prison, which means appropriate care for her difficult-term pregnancy will only be exacerbated by lack of quality medical care in prison, problematic as it is, underscores the insidious reasoning behind a four-year sentence for what is essentially rhetorical speech. Statements she allegedly made are not declaratory in nature, but interrogative questions that raises the specter of what if. Hypothetical discourse does not entail the concrete of variables of a threat, and for the judge to radically depart from sentencing guidelines suggests other motivations were at play aside from Ms. Martin's words. Given South Carolina's history of fear of slave revolts prior to Reconstruction, it is not a mystery why this judge would criminalize affirmative speech emanating from the mouth of a perceived defiant African woman. The question is, and this is, this is quite important, do we as a community understand an implicit threat in terms of these kind of judgments that have been made on a daily basis of the African people in the society. And if we don't intimately understand the, the implicit threat imposed, then the only thing I can suggest is that we go back and read the history in terms of in terms of law enforcement in society and to gain some adequate perspective in terms of, you know, why things exist as they are, particularly when it comes to the sentencing of African people in the society. And I close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we'll go into a discussion with 
Brother Anthony on and what's going on in his world and the community. The mic is yours, Brother Anthony. Sure. Uh, let's see. Uh, last night, I attended a special program uh, at Riverside Church called uh, Democracy Beyond the U.S. Empire. It took place last night at 7 o'clock in the evening, and uh, it featured uh, the foreign ministers of uh, Venezuela and Cuba, Vijay Prasad, and uh, a sister who's uh, head of the uh, People's Forum, and uh, let's see, it was a very informative program. And uh, let's see, and uh, the sense I got from the presentations was that uh, that um, uh, uh, that most people are for socialism, and. Uh, and there's no uh, there's no going back to capitalism, particularly for Venezuela and Cuba, and uh, you know and uh, you know uh, uh, people have entered in, have reiterated several times over the years through elections that a majority of the working people are for socialism. So it was a very informative program. And also, uh, Fiona, uh, Hurricane Fiona is uh, intensifying uh, the damages caused by uh, storms and, uh, you know, uh, heavy rain uh, from Puerto Rico uh, to uh uh, Bermuda and it's now affecting Canada uh, so it's a very intense uh, storm and uh, you know and uh, let's see it uh, it wrecked uh, the power grid in Puerto Rico so uh, you know uh, our prayers and uh, heart goes out to the working masses in Puerto Rico, especially. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And for Brother Anthony, we now will go to Brother Moses and bring me in and ask Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, bro- well Brother Africa, I'll tell you the truth. Um, this this um, um, mother country radicals um podcast um has been very very much on my mind i I listened to it it's, it's several hours worth of material it's ten episodes and uh it discusses the s d s and uh, uh its formation and and its anti imperialist stand and then it morphed some a section of it morphed into the weather underground and this anti imperialist stand um um a number of of uh of uh 
bombings that nobody got hurt in, but um, but there was a, a number of bombings in support of the Vietnamese people and uh, and by by um, the Weather Underground, and they declared war on the U.S. And meanwhile, the Black Panther Party was working in concert with SDS and the Weather Underground. Um, um, that was the, they were supporting the Black Panther Party as the vanguard of the revolution, and um, the vanguard uh, Black Panther Party eventually split uh, after the New York Twenty One, etc. And uh, and they sectioned up and became the Black Liberation Army, and and uh, they, you know, supported the struggle and. Uh, um, some of the the weather underground, the white comrades in the weather underground, helped them uh, with various uh, missions, um, including a bank robbery. Uh, um, and um, anyway, it's a history of the struggle and uh, the various struggles, the 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 support of the Black Liberation Movement uh, by white radicals is, is what I learned from it. And uh, it was very interesting. I think people, if you get a chance, they should read this Apple podcast. Uh, other than that, this week has been interesting. I, nothing stands out in my mind. Uh, um, I know that the, the January 6th committee is going to meet again Wednesday, and uh, they should be interesting uh uh, they pursue justice for, for the right wing. And uh, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And from Brother Moses, we're now going to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor is in the seat, and she's going to take the heat. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, Brother Africa, you heard uh, President Joe Biden say that the pandemic was over. Well, it may be over for him and his group of people, but it's a pandemic and it's still impacting people around the world. And uh, I keep thinking about the eight countries in Africa and the South African president speaking up for South Africa, Egypt, Kenya, uh, Senegal, Nigeria, you know, Morocco, and that they just want to have an opportunity to produce a vaccine on of their own. Now, if the U.S. won't force Pfizer or Moderna to let go of their proprietary information, I would suggest that they allow the Cubans to assist the Africans with the vaccine that they've produced. In addition, um, I'm looking at the war uh, in in, uh, Ukraine and the number of deaths that the Russian army has uh, and had had to suffer because of the anti-aircraft and anti-tank weapons that the Ukrainians have been provided by the U.S., the um, um, Great Britain, and other nations. 
And uh, this is an uh, untold atrocity. And I think more attention needs to be paid to that, that now the Russian uh, people are being forced calling up um, men who are not in the reserve, but to go to war to preserve the sovereignty of Russia. Uh, And how can uh, Russia stand up against the Ukraine when they have the U.S. backing them as well as the EU and Great Britain? This is an outrage. And I think about uh, this week I was thinking about the city of Odessa. And when the Russians uh, fought back Hitler and rescued the uh, folks, from the death camps in Poland. They brought them to Odessa, and uh, that was where they first were found uh, safety, those who were left, uh, because the Nazis were burning down all of their uh, gas chambers and trying to have mass burning of, of bodies and this kind of thing so that the quote, allies wouldn't see what they had done. And now we hear that uh, Odessa is a part of a would-be nation called the Ukraine. I think this is an outrage when we, we should be concerned with things like fighting back apartheid in Israel, stopping the Saudis from waging this awful war against Yemen, on feeding the people of the earth because Russia and the Ukraine are who feeds the people uh, uh, in Africa, who provides grain for so many of our African brothers and sisters on the continent. Also, I think about the people in Afghanistan with the winter approaching and having no access to fuel or food. So these things concern me and how we are ignoring them. And, and, and I think back to February, the week the invasion allegedly began, the U.S. had drone strikes in Somalia. Why are we not getting more news on this? So what I'm hoping is that we will begin to get true and factual journalism and that someone would let President Biden know that at least 400 or more persons a month are dying of the virus in the United States and that no place on earth other than the United States has had so many deaths from this virus. And it is true that it affects Africans, and I want to be clear when I say Africans because many people who are um, expatriates from the continent get confused and they'll say, we're not dying of the coronavirus. You African Americans are dying of the coronavirus. True, true, but we recognize ourselves as Africans. And indigenous people are dying of the coronavirus in this country. And the elderly are dying of the coronavirus in this country and the poor. 
what is this? Is this some type of uh, genocide where people just don't give information and because the people dying are poor and disenfranchised that, that no one pays attention? You know, uh, the U.S., India, and Brazil are leading the world in corona death. And we need not ignore these things, nor should we ignore all the lives being lost in Yemen every day. A half a million people have been annihilated by the Saudis. So I'm hoping that we can begin to get true and factual news that is reflective of what's going on in the world rather than this biased news where we just are being filled with propaganda. I'd like to hear and know what is going on in Russia, what is going on in the Ukraine. I don't want to continuously get a one-sided information. I'd like to hear the facts. And I see that Palestinians are still under siege and that no one seems to be paying attention. We must combat Zionism and fight Israeli apartheid. That's what's been on my mind. And it really came to mind when President Biden said, that the pandemic was over. And I thought, well, only in his world, because it's still impacting so many people in the rest of the world, including the United States. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. Well, you know, Sister Eleanor, they have philosophy in which they practice. I think that's what it is. So whatever they think, that's what it is. Uh, the question is, mm-hmm. how how do you fight that kind of philosophy? But anyway, we'll come back to you, Sister Eleanor. I would like to bring Brother Haki back in and the rest of the panelists. I'd like for y'all to weigh in on this issue that Haki raises with how this court goes about just creating laws as they go along when it comes to asking people to impress people. Brother Haki, at what point in time will we continue to uh, stop legitimizing these goddamn courts and see them for what they are. There's nothing about justice when it comes to um, the institution of um, um, the judiciary system in this country. Brother Haki? That's that's true, Brother Africa. Uh, There is nothing really legitimate about it. The problem is that, you know, you know, one of the things is that, you know, it, it, it enjoys, the courts enjoy a certain amount of legitimacy because we're brought up in a society. So we're taught that justice is dispensed routinely. And we go about our business thinking that, in fact, that uh, when there's a problem that arises, the court naturally is a source in terms of resolving that conflict. And so we sort of grow up legitimizing or taught to legitimize the courts. The problem is that when you look, when you look, when you look at the courts firsthand and begin to assess, you know, what they're really all about. For instance, currently you got a situation where the, the orange menace is, is being guilty of, of numerous infractions uh, of, of criminal statutes. Despite the fact that he's being guilty, and this just hasn't thought, by the way, this guy got a history going back 30 years in terms of, you know, criminality. I'm talking about Donald Trump. 
But you look at the kind of treatment that he's afforded uh, versus if earlier when I talked about the sister, Miss Martin, out of, uh, out of South Carolina. And you look at it in terms of the disparity in terms of treatment, in terms of versus, you know, how he's treated versus how she's treated. So, so we, we begin to understand if you take a hard and close look in terms of how the judicial system is structured, then you understand the judicial system is here to serve the interests of the powerful. It's very, very simple. Uh, we, because, you know, you know, and unfortunately, you know, one of the things is that you have people who are in positions of authority. You have people who are uh, 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 professors of law. You have uh, uh, people who are law professors. Uh, you have these people, you know, uh, who are intimately involved with the criminal justice system or the judicial system at large. And the problem is that, you know, because of, uh, or back, lack of a term, but because of opportunism or maybe even classism, they refuse to indict, to acknowledge, you know, that there's some fundamental wrongs in terms of what we call the judicial system. I take my hands off to attorneys like, uh, uh, like Paul Butler, you know, uh, you know, uh, um, now Paul Butler is one of those individuals, um, you know, uh, who's very forthright in terms of his analysis. He doesn't bite his tongue in terms of how the judicial system works. One of the things that he, that Edmund stands on my mind in terms of the stance that Paul Butler took was that. Uh, Paul Butler talked about the fact that when you when you when you in, when you in, when you come across a judicial system or or a trial in particular that is corrupt, and you know there's fundamentally there's some injustice being permitted or certainly being condoned by the judicial system, that you have an obligation to to uh, certainly rule against that 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 judgment. In other words, he's saying it's, it's okay, you know, to nullify the the, the judges the, the, the nullify the rulings of the court. And for a lot of people, that was problematic because one of the things that, you know, because we're conditioned to believe that because the courts are almighty, we should never think in terms of nullifying the, a decision by the court. Well, he's advocating that with a situation uh, and where, there, where clearly there's political considerations for the court and that you know the fundamental wrong is being uh, committed, then you have a moral, op- moral and political obligation to annul that, that, uh, that, uh, that ruling. In other words, uh, you vote no. When you want, for instance, uh, let's say a, a young man who's go to court, and he's um, he's uh, he's uh, in trial. He's on trial for so he he stole um, he stole a uh, he stole a, a cupcake, well, let's say a fifty cent cupcake, right? All right, and he's expl- and this young man is explaining why he stole the cupcake I mean, because of circumstances, and he felt like you know uh, he had no other recourse. You know, and Trisha's question for him is a question of my life and death. In terms of you know you know stealing that cupcake to survive, well the courts was define this young man as a criminal. Well Paul Butler would say yeah was whereas the action itself may be criminal, the reason why he did that would cause him to doubt in terms of this whole question in terms of you know this young man being labeled a criminal. In that context, he talks about the fact that maybe that if you annul if you refuse to to have, find him guilty, uh, will be justifiable and, and appropriate. And then you got to get, so I get, take my hat off to someone like Paul Butler. You know, I mean, as a matter of fact, Paul Butler is a, he was a, he was a, um, uh, he was an, he was a, uh, a, a professor of law. I think it was at George Mason University. Uh, I don't know what he's doing right now, but he was a professor, professor. He may still be at George Mason University, but in any event, so, so, so Paul, so Paul, so Paul Butler was exceptional in terms of his, 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 his desire to actually, you know, deconstruct the judicial system and to tell people that there's something fundamentally skewed in terms of the judicial system that in terms of serving the interests of all the people, it's the interest is served, it only serves the interests of the powerful. 
And so in that context, if you had more people like Paul Butler, who are professors, who are uh, intimately involved with the, with the judicial system, will come forward and say, listen, we got some serious problems in terms of, you know, uh, justice not being adequately dispensed uh, based upon class. Then once you have that kind, once you have that kind of uh, 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 that kind of uh, um, narrative, you know, being banded about, uh, people come to the realization that there's something fundamental wrong, which is raises the possibility of certainly the specter that you could actually change things in terms of how the judicial system actually functions. But as it currently stands, it serves the interests of the wealthy, and there's no other, there's no two ways about it. That's its only function. And as long as it does that, we can we can expect a a, a uh, uh, we can we can expect in terms of a, a diversion in terms of you know uh, you know who receives justice versus who doesn't receive justice. So when you talk about Donald Trump, you know in terms of all the criminality he's been engaged in over the last thirty years and getting away with it, and then you talk about someone who and being incarcerated simply for talking back to a, to a police officer, then clearly you get a sense that there's something fundamentally wrong in terms of the judicial system. But first and foremost, we need people to 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 people with credibility, people those uh, uh, people who have the limelight, those people who would expose you to say there's something fundamentally wrong with this judicial system and it needs to be addressed. But until then, we can anticipate this dichotomy of wealthy people being treated certainly differently than poor, than poor people. Well, Anthony, your response, why in the hell do we still legitimize these court systems? We're taught from elementary school that uh, that the judicial system is objective. Uh, to add to the points uh, Brother Haki made, uh, in a, in a lot of cases, judges are appointed for life by uh, what uh, whatever pol- uh, political party is in power at the time they appointed. This is why uh, the judicial lacks accountability to the people. They're beholding, they're beholden only to the, uh, to, to the political leadership that appoints them to that office. That is why they're not accountable to the people for the most part. Because these are appointed positions and as opposed to elected positions. And uh, most of uh, these judges are appointed by the Democratic-Republican duopoly. So they have no interest in uh, serving the masses of working people. And that uh, so uh, it's a myth that uh, that that the judiciary pro- provides justice. It does not. Just as the other uh, other branches of government do not. And uh, it's hard to get at the truth because there's a lot of sifting of information that that has to be done. Uh, Kwame uh, Ture uh, never tired of, uh, tired of pointing out that the media lies all the time and that when it tells the truth, it's the result of a double lie. Uh, now, in, 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 you know, in, in a situation like that, 
there is a lot, a, a tremendous amount of sifting that has to be done in order to get at the truth. And, uh, you know, because of the, the way the judiciary is set up, in which, uh, you know, uh, most judges are appointed for life uh, by these uh, political officials, it is hard, it, it, it is very difficult for working people to get justice in, uh, in that kind of setup. Thank you, Brother Anthony, Sister Eleanor. When we look at the court system and we look at the propaganda that has been played out in our media, we always see all of these African judges on TV sending out the signal that if you're going to have to settle anything, allow the courts to do it. So get us to buy in. One question to you, are we guilty of participating in our own oppression when we play these roles and when we uh, continue to allow our tax dollars to fund institutions that are directly opposed to our existence. What's your thoughts on that, Sister Eleanor? Well, I agree with uh, Brother Haiki and Brother Anthony. These federal court positions are often uh, presidential appointees, and they are there for life. But then we see in certain municipalities like Philadelphia and New York City where these folks are elected, and you see a hint of justice as you just saw what happened with Trump and the Trump family in New York City. And uh, there, uh, there may be an indictment, an actual indictment in New York City. And we see just the reverse in Florida because Trump had appointed the very judge that was making a decision about the situation uh, at uh, a resort in Florida that owned by Trump and whoever dropped a dime, they could have been there for uh, a wedding reception or uh, a birthday party or a bar mitzvah, who knows. But the records were out and, and these, these this secret information was out for everyone to see. So, you know, a, a part of living in a republic is that there is, uh, in a capitalist republic, is that there are irregularities when it comes to the judicial system. Um, uh, well, one, I don't know, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't know, but I know that I, that federal judges are appointed, but I know lower uh, ranking, uh, like the district attorney or something like this, sometimes are elected positions, sheriffs, the sheriff may be an elected position. But the reality is is that um, this imperialist nation is really up for the test right now to see whether or not 
there'll be any true justice uh, and real uh, uh, and and quite frankly, uh, as a layperson, an indictment of Trump or the Qatar that he organized on January 6th, that's yet to be seen. But there is inequity in the law and the way this, the judicial system is set up. First of all, uh, the CJA in the district is called the Criminal Justice Act. In other places, it has other names, but that's where you get a court-appointed attorney at a very that's paid very little, and their hope and dream is to perhaps become uh, uh, a member of the district attorney's office. So there's there's a conflict there, but they're underpaid. So even if these uh, publicly appointed attorneys are intended to be a service or a help to the people, it's often just too little, too little money. I worked as an investigator uh, under the Criminal Justice Act in the District of Columbia, and the the judge tells you or points, tells both the attorney, the court-appointed attorney, and the investigator how much time they can spend on a particular case. Well, justice can't be served uh, when someone says, well, this case should only take 20 hours, and you work and you find out that you've got to petition the court to say, look, this 20 hours is an adequate time. You know, you can come aboard with that kind of information, reporting that to the attorney who is you're working for, or they um, uh, find it out and, and they attempt to approach the judge and say, we need more time, but it's still up to the discretion of the judge. And what's more important, how much of a workload can these people handle? You know, it's like the poorest of the poor in terms of uh, the legal profession, the people that are doing this criminal justice act. You know, these pro, they're the free attorneys or the pro bono attorneys that uh, you uh, get when you have a criminal charge. So there's definitely a lot of inequity in, in the judicial system in that larger law firms aren't required to, you know, they they have a duty to do so much pro bono work, but it's uh, very limited, and uh, there's far too great a need in terms of pro bono work out there than there, uh, there's a greater need than there are hours that are given to the to the public. So the public's definitely coming up on the short stick. And since we have criminalized so many things in this country, as Brother Haki said, the young man, I think that young man was a 9- or 11-year-old child who took the cupcake from the store. So now that we're criminalized children who are hungry for eating in a store. He didn't run out of the store. He ate the the food right there. He was a hungry child. And hunger is not only a global problem, 
but it's also a problem in the U.S. for women and children in particular, as well as the elderly and other people on fixed incomes. So there is just gross inequity in the judicial system, and uh, there is a lack of access to um, quality legal representation for the working class uh, in, in the judicial system, and that includes the middle class. You know, some people used to have an expression, they would always say, talk is cheap until you hire an attorney. And, you know, you don't know whether you're hiring a, a, a A1 attorney or you're hiring someone that took the bar nine times and just happened to pass it, and now they're your attorney. Because one thing about the professions, that is medical school and law school, they don't keep records of how many times you took the bar, how many times you took the medical board. It's just when you pass, you pass. And the public, uh, there's no public record kept of the number of times you may have had to sit for the bar. So there's some, it's a very complex issue, and definitely the, the citizens are receiving uh, the short end of the stick. You know, Brother Moses, I would just like to get your response to this narrative of what I have observed the scene to be that when you're talking about the separation or the structure of this so-called government, you have a fifth branch. I mean, you have a fourth branch. And the fourth branch I would call Hollywood. Hollywood seemed to be another branch for the U.S. government where it organizes and creates its propaganda tool to educate, influence, and create deception of realities. And I'm saying that because of the fact that did you notice that if you look at the media today, the types of programs that comes on the television today inside the U.S. and probably throughout the world, but for most reasons, you got about 80 and 90% of the shows are affiliated with law enforcement. And most or all of them are pro. Giving you the image that the law enforcement they are friends to African people, oppressed people. They are the institution that will solve your problems based upon justice, and you should always support it and abide by that rules and laws. Even though Brother King taught us that even unjust laws should not be um, followed. So what is your general thought, Brother Moses, on this whole idea of, 80-90% of all these shows on TV is pro-cop, pro-law enforcement. And what does that do to benefit our communities by taking such a a point of view that may be kind of, kind of productive to our well-being? Brother Moses, your thoughts? Yeah, this, this, as Richard Price said, you go down looking for justice and you find just us. Um, the, the the justice system is 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 class oriented um in this capitalist society it's definitely you have to buy your justice um it's a com- 
it's like a commodity. Uh, um, if you have the income and the resources, you can usually get away with most almost anything. Uh, um, Trump is, has been uh, proof of that. I mean, um, hopefully we're going to pin him down on some of these things now, but but um, he has always been uh, like the Teflon. It's nothing sticks. And so uh, the justice system is 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 a political system. I, uh, these 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 judges are political appointments, and uh, and you know Roe versus Wade, all the all the various decisions that come down uh, are political decisions, and uh, so we have to we have to keep politics in command and and and, and uh, support those people who are conscious who are conscious of our our problems and uh, and on our side uh it's, um and in order to, we i don't know we're going to have to have a uh, uh, uh revolutionary people step up to to positions of authority and uh and uh and sooner or later, either it's got to happen uh, one way or the other, uh, because we can't go on like this. Um, this this is is too too blatantly racist. And I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. What we're going to do? This is Africa on the Moon. I'm Brother Africa. We're going to pause for the call. We're going to take a rockster break. And then we also, while we're taking a break, we're going to try and make a transition to a segment called Selling Your Country for Cash. This is a prelude to our upcoming discussion of our theme tonight, Black Rage versus Big Tech. We will have that discussion when we return. This is Africa on the Moon. Scholars and scientists now concede that Africa is the birthplace of mankind. Africans were the first builders of civilization. They discovered mathematics, invented writing, developed sciences, engineering, medicine, religion, fine arts, and built the Great Pyramids, an architectural achievement which still baffles modern science. The 225th emperor, emperor, direct descent from Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, Sheba, Here's a rumbling in the sky Here's that dog 
motherland representer. I'm on trial with the man, she my co-defendant. And I demand her attention, can you focus woman? I'm getting closer to the sky every time I hit it. Holly Selassie, power of the trinity. Soul made in Niger, my vice made in Italy. White man's world that I'm living in some state. But it was Africa, the continent we all came from. Can't nothing come between me and you. So before I have seeds, gotta understand my roots. Gotta understand the truth, we is all kings round here. Life's not all fair, work to Fall dead, all going hard to earn like a poor bird. Although my body's in the U.S., my heart's there. I can never be ashamed of her. I got my features and my name from her. Mama Africa. The richest place on earth. Know just what you I'm Palki Sharma Upadhyay. This is Gravitas Plus. The date is 18th of October 2020. 153 years ago, on this very day, Alaska was transferred to the United States. It was earlier a part of Russia. The United States bought Alaska for $7.2 million only. And this wasn't a one-off deal in recent history. I come to you tonight with details of several such interesting buys. All of them seem unimaginable in today's context. Did you know Mumbai or erstwhile Bombay was once given away in dowry? It happened in 1661. Read this article. Singapore was sold for 5,000 Spanish dollars. China had leased Hong Kong to Britain for 99 years. The states of California, Nevada, Arizona and Utah never belonged to America. 
Spain sold the Philippines to America for $20 million. Can you imagine deals like these being struck today? Can you imagine your country being sold to another country or a part of your country being traded for money or gold? The very idea can trigger a political hurricane. And yet there are countries that give away land without a fight. India is said to have ceded 38,000 square kilometers of land to China in the last 70 years. And if any gains were made, they have not been reported. But let's skip to what happened to Alaska. It was sold to the United States for $7.2 million. The amount is equivalent to approximately $125 million today. That's how much a Vincent van Gogh painting costs. I'm referring to the portrait of the artist without a beard. An Airbus A320neo costs around $111 million. That's approximately the price tag for 28 commercial wind turbines. $125 million is what Dwayne Johnson, Vin Diesel and Adam Sandler's combined annual income is. And the U.S. bought 370 million acres of foreign territory with that money. That's two cents an acre. Alaska is twice the size of Sweden. It has nearly two-thirds of all the national park lands of the U.S. Alaska's shoreline is longer than the entire Atlantic coast. It spans two time zones. It has 3,000 rivers, 3 million lakes, 100,000 glaciers, more than 100 volcanoes. Alaska is one of the richest states of the United States. It is the largest by area and also the second largest producer of crude oil in the U.S. Alaska produces an average of 670,555 barrels of crude oil a day. It is rich in copper, gold, timber, zinc, lead, fish, fur. Alaska is so rich that it does not have sales or income tax. Instead, Alaska gives every resident an annual stipend. That rich. Did Russia know about Alaska's potential? And why did Russia sell Alaska at all? The answer to the first question is no. Russia did know that Alaska was resourceful, but not this resourceful. And this is the man who ceded Alaska, Tsar Alexander II. To understand why he sold Alaska, we must look at some history. The Russians colonized Alaska in 1784. Maintaining a territory so far from the mainland was not easy. Communication was a problem, so was transportation. Around the 1800s, Russia began questioning the profitability of this colony. Britain, too, was eyeing Alaska. Russia was bankrupt after its war with Crimea. Defending Alaska or even maintaining it became a problem. So starting the 1850s, Russia began trying to dispose of Alaska. It offered the land to the United States on many occasions, but the U.S. did not have the time for that discussion. Talks were further postponed when the American Civil War broke out in 1861, but Russia was in debt. It needed money, so it decided to sell Alaska for just $7.2 million. The Treaty of Session was signed on the 30th of March, 1867. The signatories were these, then U.S. Secretary of State William H. Seward and Russian envoy Baron Edward the Stokul. The Alaska Treaty, 1867, marked the end of Russia's expansion to North America. For America, it meant opportunity, one that it had no clue about. For the longest time, Alaska was called Seaward's folly. The popular thought in America was that the land was good for nothing and it had nothing to offer. Then gold was discovered in the 1890s, oil in 1968 and the rest as they say is history. Is this the only such land sale to another country? Far from it. You may have heard of Gwadar, the port that is practically owned by China now. It is on Pakistani land 
but it did not always belong to Pakistan. It was an overseas territory of Muscat and Oman. Pakistan bought it for $3 million. This was back in 1958. Muscat needed money and Pakistan had its eyes on the strategic location of Gwadar. Today the city houses a deep water port controlled by China. Little did Pakistan know that its Gwadar deal will go on to profit the Chinese. Another set of islands China is eyeing is controlled by Japan, the Senkaku Islands. They are claimed by three countries, China, Taiwan and Japan. Tokyo bought the Senkaku Islands in 2012. It paid 2.1 billion yen to one family, the Kuriharas. Today, that will be around $23.6 million. The deal was a game changer in the East China Sea. The Senkaku Islands sit in key shipping lanes. They also lie close to gas deposits. Here's another set of islands that's passed hands, the Virgin Islands. They were once called the Danish West Indies. As you may have guessed, Denmark owned them. The U.S. wanted these islands as a national security asset. Lucky for Washington, the islands were turning out to be too expensive for Denmark to maintain. So the islands of St. Thomas, St. John and St. Qua were sold to the U.S. The year was 1917 and the transfer amount was 25 million in gold. 29 years later, the U.S. made another offer to Denmark. It offered $100 million for Greenland. The Danish government said no. Greenland became an autonomous region in 1979, but its unwillingness to be owned by the U.S. remained unchanged. In 2019, when the U.S. President Donald Trump expressed his wish to buy this land, he was told it's not for sale. For Trump, Greenland would have been the real estate deal of the century. But the real deal of the century was struck somewhere in the Pacific by former president of Kiribati, Anote Tong. He bought land from another country to save his people in case his country submerges because of climate change. This was in 2014. Kiribati paid $8.77 million to Fiji. This was in exchange for 20 square kilometers of land on Vanua Levu. And it goes down in history as perhaps the only such deal driven by need and not greed. Gravitas Plus, co-presented by Skoda. Simply clever. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. Uh, that little segment, Selling Your Country for Cash, is a prelude to our discussion tonight, part one of a two-part series, Black Rays versus Big Tech. Now, there are two interesting articles, Black Rays, which was published by Black and General Report on September 18, 2022, by Two Block. It is titled Laundering Black Rage. Rage is a natural human emotion that is denied to black people. The subtext reads, Black Rage is dangerous and is washed away, laundered as if it were an ill-gotten gain Two Black explains in the first part of a two-part essay. This will be a two-part series as we discuss this topic, Black Rage versus Big Tech. But this article raised some real interesting issues that I think we need to bring on and discuss, and I hope our political panelists will share their thoughts on this particular article. We'll start off with Brother Hackey. Brother Hackey, we talk about this question of Black Rage, I would like to get your perspective on, in, in essence, what is it and how it comes about. 
Brother Haki. Well, <coughs> let me let me just start with a um, start with a um, with a with a supposition. One of the one of the things that's very ironic in the society when you think about the fact that African people consist about thirteen fourteen percent of the population. Why is such um, hostility directed toward African people? Well, to a large extent, uh, this hostility directed toward African people is a function in, ter- in terms of how the state operates. In other words, the 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 um, the, um, the the problems that African people are confronted with are the systematic barriers that African people confronted with all indict fundamentally a system in place. One thing we have to keep in mind is that, you know, uh, you know, by African people, you know, struggling against such a inhospitable, insensitive, in unjust system, it exposes the inner dimensions of that system. And certainly from a systematic point of view, the people who benefit from the system do want do not want uh any type of uh discourse, and have real discussion around how the system actually operates. Because if that happens, then not only not only uh, or not only would African people uh, gain some legitimacy in terms of their fight for justice in society, but it would be fundamentally exposed to the overwhelming number of people in American society just how unjust American the American system is. So in that context, they have to the people in positions of power have to continue the oppression or the villainy of African people simply because we have a long history in terms of actually fighting back. Now, the kind of rage that this, 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 this piece talks about is a legitimate kind of rage. It's an expression when you talk about a system which not only historically but in contemporary times, both uh, both economically, politically, and socially, uh, have all kind of obstacles to negate the advancement of a people. Then it's, what happens is it's going to facilitate anger. They understand. The people in the power understand that fully. They understand that fully. They're, 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 there's no illusions about that. The, the key is convincing the overwhelming number of white, white Americans or even African Americans themselves ourselves, is that this kind of rage that expressed by African people in terms of how the system fundamentally works uh, is, a, is somehow disingenuous, that in fact uh, the problems that uh, African people raised against uh, doesn't exist, that it's, certainly it's a perfect society, there are no problems, there's no injustice, everything is fine. These are people just helping on, just criticizing wherever they can, simply because they got nothing better to do. So we have to understand that the implicit, implicit uh, 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 impulse of those people in positions of power to vilify African people, uh, because you know, because <laughs> because because that rage, that black rage that the piece talks about, clarifies the 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 the, the, the issues, you know, as they confront humanity generally. Specifically, we talk about black rage in terms of the impact on African people, and it's certainly understandable. But in understanding black rage in terms of all that it advocates for, then fundamentally everybody, irrespective of skin color, understands, you know, uh, if, if they were allowed to fully express that rage, come to understand just how corrupt and how backwards, how unjust the system is. And so the system has a, a vested interest in terms of making sure that this black rage is monitored, uh, not only monitored but suppressed. And the question becomes, how do they suppress the rage? Well, certainly one of the ways you want to suppress the rage is deny that a problem exists. Uh, here recently, you know, we have a situation where, where critical race theory is something that's taught in, in, in the, on the university level is being castigated that somehow, somehow 
implicit in, 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 in teaching white people to hate themselves, which has something to do in terms of cultural race, I mean, critical race theory. But nonetheless, from a propaganda perspective, they're able to, 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 to spread that, 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 that misinformation in terms of what critical race theory is. It doesn't matter that people don't even understand what critical race theory is, as long as those positions of power create the perception that, in fact, critical race theory is somehow anti-white, then it serves its purpose in a racist society. Also, in terms of the utilization of, of African people themselves, historically, you know, when we talk about, you know, for instance, Black Lives Matter, and we talk about its impact in terms of the ability to get people to focus in on police brutality, whereas we understand police brutality affects people across the board, no question about that. But certainly, disproportionately, there is no question that police brutality disproportionately impacts African people. So when we talk about white folks being killed by police, normally that's in response to a white person being armed. African folks get killed being unarmed. Uh, so, this, so this question in terms of, um, so this question in terms of, you know, these legitimate concerns of the African people has to be suppressed. And if they were suppressed, the problem becomes, you know, if they don't suppress, then they receive some kind of legitimacy. And so this is this is what it concerns. And so in, in terms of creating that legitimacy, one of the things you have to understand is that one way you deny the legitimacy of the African people is to have other African people, in particular, African people of middle income, have the positions of authority. So you have the, the, the NAACP, National Urban League. Uh, you have these kind of groups who are strategically placed as as some as somewhat a, a uh, as, as 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 a diversion. So when situations get critical in society, when the black race gets to a point where it's no longer manageable, then they come in, they, they donate money to organizations like the um, NAACP, the Urban League, and these kind of organizations and say, well, your job essentially is to quell this, is, is to, is to quell this, 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 this movement or to, uh, uh, or, to, uh, or, or to create the perception that there's no justification in terms of this outrage. And that's precisely what they do. This is not to say that those people in those organizations don't really believe that what they're doing is vital and necessary for the advancement of the African people in society. Of course they believe that what they're doing is, is, is just, and just, just, and just and noble. They believe that. But in terms of political understanding, people in positions of power, those management, those individuals who control the system understand that if that black race becomes you know, unmanageable, uh, it, it, it creates a, a particular threat you know, to the system at large, and so these 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 African people they use in these organizations are are key in terms of maintaining uh, uh, or managing black rage. So once they come out and make a statement, okay, now let's 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 everything is fine. The situation is being uh, being confronted. Uh, the police are being the we're going to have some reforms. So we're going to. Uh, we're going to make sure um, uh, we're going to make sure the, the cops are more sensitized to the needs of the community. We're going to make sure uh, that there's better training for the police, and uh, everything's going to be okay. Of course, in the heart of hearts, they know damn well that all of that, all of these reforms they talk about, even if they materialize, don't materialize to the point that they're actually going to negate police brutality inflicted upon the African community. They understand that their role simply is to manage the outrage from these police killings. You see, so aside from that, brother Africa, you know, and I'm gonna close with this because I'll be talking all day because it's a long article. But I think one of the things that you know we we have to understand is that when we talk about in terms of this particular article, in terms of the um, in, in, in terms of uh, the, the the history, you know, of, of capitalism, you know, once we understand the history of capitalism, then we understand, you know, certainly why these kind of injustice, why this kind of suffering 
uh, why this kind of thing exists. And we understand in terms of, certainly, we understand in terms of why black rage exists. Uh, but one of the things is that, you know, because, you know, many, many people who benefit, you know, from the status quo in terms of the way they have things currently exist, the question of black rage becomes a strategic one for those positions of power. They must always figure out some kind of way in terms of managing black rage. They can't totally suppress it. No matter how many black conservatives they use, no matter how many black organizations they use to suppress, you know, black, the, the, the expression of black rage, they cannot destroy it. They can only manage it. Uh, but all of that is quite impossible. But historical process, which is geared toward the, the undermining, uh, the dispossession, uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, wholesale, uh, wholesale injustice that is inflicted upon African people. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, this is a long history. In order to understand black rage, we have to fundamentally understand the history, not only of this country, but capitalism per se. Thank you, Brother Haki, for giving you a general perception of the conditions for black rage. We now go to Brother Anthony. And Brother Anthony, one of the conditions that the author two black described in terms of the conditions for black rage was this question of the squeezing or being squeezed economically and living, subsistence living or survival. Will you speak to that component and your general observation of this issue of what is the basis of black rage from your reading? Brother Anthony. Okay. Um, for starters, uh, let's see, uh, 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 I think a lot of the history is in order. Uh, let's see, um, I agree with all the points that uh, Brother Haki made. I would add that, uh, that in terms of uh the laundering of black rage uh or uh or or africans anger at the oppression is uh the use of religion particularly christianity uh in order to stifle or minimize or launder uh, black rage or anger by making the argument that if you uh, that if one follows what's in the in the Bible uh, as literally as possible, they'll get their rewards in heaven in the afterlife if they submit to the brutality of the slave master, so to speak. And uh, so this is one of the vicious ways in which uh, our spirituality has been exploited to keep us oppressed. In terms of the economic squeeze, uh, let's see, uh, we, uh, we were denied equal rights as human beings, as other ethnic groups were not. And uh, this resulted in, uh, in, in uh, lessening our ability to fight our oppression because we simply did not have the, the same access to resources 
that other ethnic groups that immigrated uh, to this uh, country had. And uh, we share a common fate with the indigenous people of this hemisphere in that regard. We were denied uh, uh, the right to uh, uh, acquire and manage uh, wealth. Even though there were a few Africans that did uh, uh, practice uh, chattel slavery, they were not the overwhelming majority of Africans that came into uh, what is now the U.S. And uh, so uh, I think, uh, you know, among other things, uh, the, the discrimination we've been subject to ever since, uh, you know, through our ancestors' effort, uh, chattel slavery uh, ultimately came to an end. Not at the same time period, though, as uh, in, in all places inside the U.S. In some cases, uh, child slavery continued after 1865, particularly in those areas uh, where uh, Africans did not have access uh, to literature let them know that the U.S. government put child slavery to an end. So, uh, you know, you have that combination of factors. And also the fact that we were denied the same uh, economic and educational opportunities as, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, the European working class uh, uh, kind of straightjacketed us and trapped us in the oppression that we're in. And I think that is why, uh, the, uh, you know, that is one of the ways in which uh, black race was uh, squeezed economically. Thank you, Brother Anthony and Sister Eleanor, as we talk about the author to Black and his article, Lingerie Black Rage. Another condition he raised for this rage is deafening silence and social control. Just give a general take on how you view this concept of black rage and speak to this issue of this question Silencing and social control as it relates to our people under this concept of black rage. Give us your thoughts on that, Sister Eleanor. Well, this uh, Mowat identifies as a sparsely fabricated society built upon the indigenous, the enslaved and that which is crafted by labor. The enclosed cities of the state create uh, a a racialized and gendered division of labor 
alienating people from themselves and and the source of fabrication. However, uh, this is a, a laundering conquest. Uh, we're talking about money and wealth. Black rage is the product of of having been enslaved people, of having um, gone uh, what they what. Uh, you know, almost like money laundering, as they talk about in the article. Um, and uh, as Pan Africanist uh, psychiatrist and political philosopher, mm-hmm. Franz Fanon makes uh, a striking make it makes it strikingly clear in his text toward the. African Revolution that the uh, uh, colony situation is first uh, of uh, of all a military conquest continued and reinforced by civil and police administration and as for the conquest conquest of 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 uh, of us. Uh, uh, it's uh, typically defined is the definition of money laundering a type of assuming a clear line between good and bad that is easily identified uh, legal and illegal citizens versus criminal clean and dirty and uh, unfortunately we come out on the dirty end Although so-called criminals may conceal their illegitimate activity, the definition assumes criminality, both the criminal and the criminal behavior, is uh, neatly defined as as, uh, and how this money is legitimized and how we are isolated from money. For example, the U.S. often uh facilitates the very activities it claims to be criminal the laundering of money to fund an anti-communist war in Nicaragua with Oliver North and his cocaine business while outlawing laundering at home yet since the the state creates the law it can pardon its own activities to make it look clean and that's what happened in Nicaragua. So what gives uh, legitimacy to this 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 capitalism and this and 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 causes our rage is the reality that uh the state can pardon itself. Uh so what it can give legitimacy to anything. What what sources make capitalism a legitimate financial system? You know, it, it's just arbitrary and capricious that that it is considered a legitimate uh, system. Typically, definitions of money laundering assume a clear line between good and bad, but but it it, it really isn't. You know. Um, the article talked about three definitions. It talked about placement, 
uh, with money. It talked about placement, put dirty money into legitimate financial systems. It talked about layering, concealing the source of money through a series of transactions and bookkeeping tricks. Um, in the final steps, it talks about the now laundered money is withdrawn from the legitimate account to be used for whatever purpose uh, the criminal might have in mind for it. And and black rage is a product of economic uh, repression, and 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 it has it has very little to do with anything other than being divided and separated and economically repressed. Our environments are poisoned uh, with the dumps being placed in our environments, whether here in Africa or here or in Africa. Um, uh, Libya fought to stop the U.S. from dumping nuclear waste on the border of Mali and the Sudan. Uh, if it wasn't for Moak Gaddafi, no, who knows what would have happened. But look here. Look at our waterways. Look at uh, Three Mile Island. No one says anything. Um, uh, we see um, the water in Jackson, Mississippi, that's a crime. No one's being brought to criminal action. And the people are quiet, but it's a quiet rage. Uh, black rage is harness, it's muzzled. Uh, so the state uh, dispossesses the labor of black rage and harnesses it into a commodity that consumed harmlessly as if its orig- original potency uh, it, it's it's restrained the uh, stated plainly black people do not own we don't even own our rage and as one of the speakers as you said brother africa just look at the media all the media now is uh the television is uh tv shows based on a police state and the police are serving the good of the people. And 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 so we don't even uh uh have possession of our rage. Um we we are robbed of our rage with a cohesive aim to legitimize the state. You know, a few of us make it, the rest of us don't and it's our fault. And uh, 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 the the process supersedes everyone of good or bad faith spilling its blood on on all involved. You know we're all suffering. It's a grand c- conspiracy. Need not be necessary when we don't need a grand c- conspiracy when when our immediate material interests are linked to the maintenance of the state. You know, we're dependent on food stamps, working people. They go to work at Disneyland every day, but they're dependent on food stamps, sleeping in cars, 
we're dependent on the state for insurance. Even if there is state insurance, we don't have universal health care in this country. Poor receive some type of health care, but not enough to save their lives, only to keep big pharma in business. So um, uh, black rage is... is, is uh, is is not really expressed. What we experience, if anything, is white rage as we see black people being shot down in the street, little boys with packs of Skittles being shot. You know, uh-uh. Brianna. So, so no one being can react shot. to one. Daniel, find the thoughts in about 30 seconds, please. Yep. Thank you. Okay. Um, um, black rage is, is, is state repression uh, has, has kept a lid on black rage. And as I said, um, we don't even own our rage, you know. Um, and we, on uh, we're going to stop you out of the courtesy, so we would like to have Brother Moses to get his final say tonight on this thing. We will continue next week on part two. Brother Moses, we are bring you in at this point in time. Long Hill talk about black rage is family on wounds in the soul. What is your what is this wounds in the soul? What is your interpretation of the basis of this laundry of black rage, Brother Moses? Well well, we are oppressed people. Um, we are being exploited economically. Um, we're being oppressed and repressed politically and theoretically, ideologically. Um, we we cannot express our rage. Um, that's part of the oppression. Um, we we were brought here in, in, in chains, and we have a right to, to rage. Uh, um, the wealth of this country has been kept from us. Uh, that's been the, one of the main objectives is to keep us uh, poor and uh, and uh, uh, helpless. And uh, hopefully, we will overcome this. This, but but we are like a reserve army of labor. Uh, 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 that's set aside for for their their um economic in, um endeavors um when when they need labor we're supposed to be there um but when they don't need labor we're just surplus uh um and uh useless objects um the black rage is, is justifiable. When I was in high school, there was a book that had just come out called Black Rage uh, in, my, in my junior and senior year in high school. Uh, I thought it, it addressed, it was timely. Uh, um, we, we are being suppressed. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. On that note, what we're going to do we're going to start winding down this program. This is the first part of a two-part series on Black Rage versus Big Tech. When we come back, we'll have announcements from Brother 
Anthony and Brother Haki, followed by some final thoughts for our political panelists for today's program. This is Africa on the move with Brother Africa. We'll be right back. Living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by the news, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong to last through my journey, yeah, last through my journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. We must prepare and learn how to care for soon there where our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey. Yeah, and made it through my journey. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Made it through my journey. Made it through my journey. Hello, A bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Hello, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino! You can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn. 
and baptized in the sound of sensual skin, turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun, pronouncing his presence. Pellerino was the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. No, the chains did not break the spirit, did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people. The love of my people shining like the sun everywhere we go. Everywhere we go. When the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey. And made it through my journey Yeah, 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 yeah Yeah, 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 yeah Yeah, 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 yeah We welcome you back to Africa on the Move Part 2 of a two-part series Black Rage vs. Big Tech we're closing out for today's program by first and foremost making a couple of announcements. We bring on Brother Haki, and we know that the African Wedding Association has organized a funeral tour to Cuba from January 23rd to the 30th. We are joining them on this endeavor. We encourage our listening audience to come and join us. And he's going to talk about why this tour is important and how you can um, make your contribution by coming. So we can bring Brother Haki in as he talk about the upcoming travel challenge, free ride tour to Cuba, January 23rd to 30th, 2023. And it's a good way to bring in your New Year's. Brother Haki, talk to us. Why Cuba? Brother Haki, why Cuba? Yeah, well, I, I think for, for African people, uh, the, the question around you know, ideas, I think, is key. Uh, we have to have ideas. Uh, you know, we have to begin to, to contrast, uh, to analyze, uh, to look at situations, and to make sense of the situations that don't, don't necessarily make sense. I think Cuba affords us the opportunity in terms of actually some, some, some reflection. Uh, by going to Cuba, you get the opportunity to, first, to talk firsthand to people who are living the existence uh, that we're striving for. We want to see coming to existence in a, a, a reality which, reflect, which reflects um, uh, the, not only the oneness of humanity, uh, but respect for all humanity. Uh, we want to see a, a reality which says that uh, all human beings count and that this notion that somehow that one is superior to another based upon material possessions or status, uh, we want a society which says that those things are fundamentally at odds in terms of what it is to be a human being. So Cuba sort of encapsulates all that in terms of what it is to be a human being in terms of creating systems designed toward enhancing all that is human. So I think that's important. I think one of the things when we talk about here in North America and we look at the atrocious conditions, it's getting worse all the time. Uh, one thing we have to understand that, you know, even though we think that it's, it's, it's idea in terms of a system which, which you know, adequately, you know, employs its people, uh, which, ensures, which, which ensures reasonable wages for its people, 
which ensures housing for its people, which ensures uh, education for its people. Certainly we would like to see such a system, uh, and, but the reality is that when we talk about in the context of America, that is not the reality. The reality is quite something else. And because the reality here in America is quite different, in terms of, you know, seeing firsthand, you know, ideas in terms of what could be, I think it's key. So we go to Cuba and we see firsthand what could be, and we talk to the people, and we, we, we marvel at their intelligence. We marvel at the institutions that they built. Uh, we look at in terms of the educational achievements of the Cuban society. All this against the backdrop would say is that in, term, in terms of materials, uh, Cuba shouldn't be able to make all these achievements. But despite uh, being a small and impoverished country, it's been able to achieve all those great things. So certainly in the context of, you know, our people here in North, in North America, in terms of in terms of uh, material possessions, clearly uh, there is there is there is, there even among the poorest in American society, there's a wide divide in terms of uh, material possessions for people born in America who are African descent and the Cuban people. And despite that disparity in terms of material possessions, Cubans come come out way ahead of us in terms of educational achievement, in terms of self-esteem, in terms of you know, creating a society which says that all human beings' lives are valued. So we go to Cuba to get a sense of ideas. And I, I think one of the things that's also important is that, you know, we, we need not feel isolated because one of the things America does a very good job of doing is teaching us that we're isolated. So we're radical, we're progressive. Uh, we have an idea in terms of how society should be organized. We have a sense that all human beings are important, but yet we live in a context of society that says, no, the hell with that. All people are not important. Uh, there is no fundamental right in terms of in terms of um, a harmonious relationship between people or equal or, or, or access to material things. So in so in, in that regard, I, I think that if we don't fundamentally internalize the notion that there is an alternative to this insanity, then this insanity in America gains a lot of uh, gravity. And one thing we don't want to do is to internalize this insanity and say to ourselves on a conscious level, that this insanity is just perfect and right. Once we start doing that, it complicates our ability in terms of transforming, moving forward to create the kind of society we'd like to see. So we encourage people to go firsthand to Cuba to see for themselves what Cuba is all about, all right, to employ a lot of the, to talk to the people, to employ some of those ideas, bring them back to America, you know, to employ some of those ideas from Cuba in terms of implementing them in the communities right here in America. Because the situation for our people in the, North, in the hills of North America are grim. And there was no getting around that. So we definitely need alternative ideas in terms of how society can be organized. Cuba offers us alternative for that reason. We encourage people strongly to go to Cuba for themselves firsthand. If you're interested in going, you can reach out to the African Awareness Association by emailing them at African Awareness Association 2 at gmail.com. If you'd like to support their work, you can cash app them at dollar sign, a capital L, small e, small e, small c, small r, small o, small b. Support our work. Please make your contribution and join on the trip. If you can't join on the trip, make a contribution to support our work. Now we'll bring you to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, will you say a few words in terms of about your organization, the AAPRPGC, and how they can help and support and build the AAPRPGC. Brother Anthony. Uh, certainly. Um, 
you, uh, people can visit our website, www.a-aprp-zc.org, for more information about the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, and they can learn more about our program and activities. Uh, they can email us at info at a-aprp-gc.org, or they can call us at 202-246-4896 for more information about our organization, program, and uh, activities. Uh, make sure you should check our website often uh, because, uh, you know, we uh, there's a lot of information available about our history, our objective, Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism, and our history and ideology. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And also, I know the D.C. Metro Coalition, maybe Brother Moses, one minute or so, you may want to say a few words about that coalition, maybe some activities coming up or something, Brother Moses. Are there any announcements you would like to make? Well, the D.C. Metropolitan Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution is, will be um, having an event, hopefully, in October, uh, but we're still in the planning stages, and I don't I don't know that I can uh, um, divulge any information at this point, um, but we are definitely uh, um, trying to support the Cuban Revolution, and uh, and um, we will be having some activity. I, I will keep you posted. Thank you. As well as Illinois is also a member of that coalition, and anything you like to make or say to or about that. Coalition and upcoming possibilities, Sister Eleanor. Well, yes, we're we're planning a fundraiser in uh, in October, um, sometime in the uh, the third week or so of October. It's not definite yet. It's a fundraiser. We hope everyone comes out to support us and. Uh, we uh, also uh, are planning uh, a caravan um, the fourth week of November. Um, we we may end up having to change that because of the proximity to um, uh, the holiday for many people. Um, the only other thing that I think I, I'd like to simply say is that um, um, yes, in terms of black rage, our, our, our rage is taken away from us because we are directly linked to the source of our rage, the state. And so as long as the people are dependent on uh, uh, the state for food and shelter and medical care, it limits the people's ability to respond and address their concerns. Also, 
rage is it goes to a metamorphosis where you put a, a few stars out there and they seem to be, you know, these black capitalists seem to be uh, legitimate and show how they made it so that others feel like it's their fault that perhaps they are not in a better position. Uh, economic position in life. And as Brother Moses said, we are a standing surplus labor force in this country. So I just want to thank you for a great evening and the fellow panelists. And thank you so much, Brother Africa and fellow panelists, and to our listening audience. Have a blessed thank week. You do the same, Sister Eleanor, and thank you for your final thoughts for tonight. We'll go to Brother Moses. We're going to ask you if you can keep your final thoughts about to a minute or so. Brother Moses, your final thoughts for tonight. Yes, it's been an interesting show. Um, great uh, information. Uh, uh, thank you for allowing me to participate. Uh, um, hopefully, we will we will get organized people with join organization that's supporting the liberation of people. And uh, we will get even further organized. Um, uh, um, it's a process in, uh, in uh, a work in progress. And uh, but sooner or later we will have the organizational uh, situation that we need. Um, it's just a matter of time. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, for your contribution to today's program. And we now we move to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight. Yes. Uh, final thought for tonight. Uh, the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, is, uh, is one of uh, numerous organizations that are sponsoring a march and rally in Times Square, New York City, October 29th, Saturday, at 12 noon, uh, to uh, uh, to demand an end to the blockade uh, against Cuba and that uh, it be removed from the list, uh, from Washington's list of war, uh, of uh, organization sponsoring terrorism and that uh, it end uh, economic sanctions against uh, Cuba. And uh, that takes place October 29th, Saturday at 12 noon. And I urge everybody to join an organization that is working for people's liberation. Thank you, Brother Anthony, for that reminder and your final thoughts for tonight. And we now will go to Brother Haki. Your final thoughts for tonight, Brother Haki. Uh, Roy Roko wrote a book uh, entitled City for Sale, and it detailed uh, the various crimes of uh, Donald Trump. Interestingly enough, when we fast forward to the future, he's still engaging in criminal activity. What I find particularly extraordinary is that, you know, when they talked about actually indicting him, his statement was something I think is, is very ominous. He says that, well, if you indict me, 
my people are going to destroy this country. <laughs> and so, so when he said that, I'm like, you know, he came across as reasonably confident that if they indict him, that uh, that these 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 so-called right-wing uh, 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 movement is also going to take off. You know, if they indict him. I find that very, very interesting. And one of the things is that, you know, um, to, the, to the extent that my perception is that it's having an impact on pe- people in the, in the Department of Justice who make those decisions to indict, my guess is that it's, the, it's having a, 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 a qualitative impact on their decisions. My guess is that Donald Trump probably won't be indicted on the numerous charges that he's, criminal charges that he's facing. But having said that, Brother Africa, as always, you know, I encourage people, you know, to, to unravel the matrix. Uh, one of the things is when we talk about in terms of the, the right-wing um, um, movements that are taking place in society, we understand it's not poor folks who will lead these movements. We're talking about middle-income, upper-income, very wealthy, very powerful people who facilitate this movement. The question for us if that be the case, then what does that mean for us as an African people in the context of in the context of North American society? We must think long and hard about what that means in terms of our longevity in society. Having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. Do the same, Brother Haki, and thank you for your contribution as well to today's program. We'd like to thank all of our panelists and analysts, our listening audience, our friends and supporters for supporting Africa on the move. Again, we do make appeal to you that if you listen to this program, support this program, we ask you to send us a one-line email that says, I listen to Africa on the Move or I support Africa on the Move. We want to have direct contact where we can communicate with you on a timely basis for important information, as well as to provide you with information that you may need in the future, just in case anything happens that we are cut off from being able to reach you. So please, brothers, sisters, friends, and supporters, uh, drop us a one line, one line by emailing us at Africa on the move, the number two, at gmail.com, all in small, uh, small lower letters. So do that. We will greatly appreciate it. Again, remind you, let's get on board and go on a funeral trip with the African Awareness Association by contacting them to go to Cuba from July 23rd to 30th, 2023 by emailing them at African Awareness Association 2, the number 2 at gmail.com, all lowercase letter. And like always, join us every week at the same time, same place on 7 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S., on Blog Talk Radio, and you can listen in by dialing in at 323-679-0841 or go online on Blog Talk Radio and type in Africa on the Move. Like always, we may not give you what you want, but we'll do our best to give you what you need. We know that information is a tool that must be used as a tool for liberation. We know music is a form of culture, and we must use our culture as a weapon to help liberate our people. So on that note, we see you next week, a continuation on part two, Black Rage and Big Tech. And what typifies a good example of Black Rage is this particular artistic expression from this song by this artist. And the name of the song is Obama Nation. We'll see you next week. 
This is Black Rage. That's, a, That's his real name, Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. I'm all about peace and love. An important line there. I'm all about peace and love. Yeah. Okay. They're calling him a terrorist. Calling him a terrorist. Okay. One nation in the world has over a thousand military bases. Can you guess who? It's. Um, uh, let me give you a hint. Cutter. It is not Luxembourg. It's not just Muslims that that oppose your imperialism. He's going to tell you who it is. Lumumba was democracy. Mossadegh. Allende. There you go. Okay, so so this is the rapper. All right, that mm-hmm. is music. Bust a beat for me. Right? All right, sure.
Obama, the bomber, getting ready for Syria. First black president, the masses were hungry, but the same president just bombed an African country like... The Jonas Brothers are here. They're out there somewhere. Sasha and Malia are huge fans. But uh, boys don't get any ideas. I have two words for you. Predator drones. You will never see it coming. You think I'm joking? Fuck you around. The first thing they say when they're mad is fuck it. You play a little too 
much for them. They say fuck you when it's time to TTB. Niggas are somewhere fucking trying to be nice to them. They fuck over you. Niggas don't realize while they're doing all this fucking, they're getting fucked around. But when they do realize, it's too late. So niggas just get fucked up. Niggas talk about fucking, fucking that, fucking this, fucking yours, fucking masters. Not knowing what they're fucking for. Ain't fucking for love and appreciation. Just fucking to be fucking. Niggas fuck white side, black side, yellow side, brown side. Niggas fuck angles when they want dollar side. Niggas fuck Charlie, Lyndon, too. And if you don't watch out, niggas will fuck you. Niggas will fuck fuck if it could be fucked. But when it comes to fucking for revolutionary causes, niggas say fuck revolution. Niggas are scared of revolution. Niggas are players. Niggas are players, are players. Niggas play football, baseball, and basketball while the white man is cutting off their balls. When a niggas play, ain't tight enough to play with some black guys. Niggas play with white guys to see if they still have some play left. And when ain't the white guys you play with, niggas play with themselves. Niggas tell you they're ready to be liberated, but when you say, let's go take our liberation, niggas reply, I was just playing. Niggas are playing with revolution and losing. Niggas are scared of revolution. Niggas do a lot of shooting. Niggas do a lot of shooting. Niggas shoot off at the mouth. Niggas shoot blue. Niggas shoot traps. Niggas cut around the corners and shoot down the streets. Niggas shoot sharp branches at white women. Niggas shoot dope into the arm. Niggas shoot guns and rifles on New Year's Eve. New Year's instead of coming in, the white police would do more shooting at them. Where are niggas when the revolution needs some shot? Yeah, you know, niggas are somewhere shooting this shit. Niggas are scared of revolution. Niggas are lovers. Niggas are lovers are lovers. Niggas love to see Clark Gable make love to Marilyn Monroe. Niggas love to see Todd and fuck over the natives. Niggas love to hit a long range of their high hole silver. Niggas love commercials. Niggas love commercials. Oh, how niggas love commercials. You can take niggas out of the country, but you can't take the country out of niggas. Niggas are lovers, are lovers, are lovers. Niggas love to hear Malcolm rap, but they didn't love Malcolm. Niggas love everything but themselves. But I'm a lover too. Yep, I'm a lover too. I love niggas, I love niggas, I love niggas. Because niggas are me, and I should only love that which is me. I love to see niggas go through changes, love to see niggas act, love to see niggas make them plays and shoot this shit. But there's one thing about niggas I do not love. Niggas are scared of revolution. If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, You can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries. Their freedom almost gone. Palestine Palestine. needs her freedom. freedom. Palestine. Needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, needs her freedom. Palestine, needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why. 
People cannot live, so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice. That's what we've got to do, because Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs our love, needs our love, Palestine, Palestine, needs her freedom, Palestine, needs our love, people of all countries, of every race and creed, We need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine Palestine needs her freedom. freedom. Palestine Needs our love, needs our love, Palestine, Palestine, needs her freedom, needs her freedom, Palestine, needs our Black. 
before it get dark. Before they hit you with the pitchfork. Better crib walk, crib This is real talk. Smoke, push, and push, then we peel off. Niggas still rolling with the wheels off. Always looking out for the crisscross. I'm a bigger boss than Rick Ross. Always winning, nigga get lost. It's the warlord, bring the voodoo. When I bail through, it's crazy like Bellevue. What they tell you, leave that boy alone, like home alone. Fuck a skull and bone, arrest the president, you got the evidence. That nigga is Russian intelligence. When it rains, it pours, did you know the new pipe was orange? Boy, you're showing your horns, they trying to replace my halo with thorns. You so basic with your bait sticks, let's go ape shit in the matrix. Arrest the president, arrest the president, arrest the president, you got the evidence. Arrest the president, arrest the president, arrest the president, you got the evidence. I took back my eyes, and all black tonight, that's right, some niggas gotta sacrifice. Not a criminal, no, I'm a seminal, yeah. I was free once, now I'm clinical. You so technical, this was Mexico, now everywhere I go is owned by Texico. Fuck them, fuck them and the rest of you yeah. I turn a phone to a vegetable I'ma roll with the aliens Man, fuck these homo sapiens They don't really wanna make friends All they want is a Mercedes Benz All they want is they dividends and decibels Fuck these citizens They'll treat us like hooligans Throw him in, they don't care what school he in these people don't play fair. It ain't even fair at the state fair. Give a young nigga gray hair. That's why I'm here. Make your ass lay there. You better stay there. Close your fucking eyes like it's daycare. Make myself clear than Shakespeare. I'm here to take money, even fake hair. So desperate is what I'm left with. For the record, you affected. Who you elected is so skeptic. So full of shit, I can't accept it. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. I reside on the west side. I murder with my third eye. Nigga so fly, get a bird's eye. I make him scream bloody murder. Let's meet at the White House. Run in and turn the lights out. Man, they treat it like a trap house. These motherfuckers never take the trash out. They just cash out and mash out. Nigga, take your drugs and pass out. Niggas love to go that fast route. I see you when your black ass get out. Homie, you play too much. Why these devils, they doing way too much. Most of them won't say too much. Why they steady planning? God knows what. That's why I roll with the real ones. Real ones, trying to reach millions. Real ones, trying to make billions. Real ones, dressed like civilians. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Son, I can talk to him cause he understands 
everything I go through and everything I am. My support system, I can't live without him. The best thing since sliced bread is his kiss, his hug, his lips, his touch. And I just want the whole world to know about my black brother. I love you and I'll never try to hurt you. Don't you know that all 
Thank you, Lindsay.